Welcome to episode two of Under Influence Architecture and Design show with your host, Alex Osinenko, and also Mr. Boris Rappaport. Do you need a special invitation to start speaking? <laughs> I just hand signal at you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Boris is a gifted engineer, but a shy, shy co host, that's for sure. Are you shy, Boris? A little bit, yes. I'm a little nervous. Is that shy? It's good. Uh, look, this show is about helping architecture design engineering firms create their competitive advantage via technology, use tech as a competitive advantage. Um, and we feel that um, not having technology or not being able to utilize tech, especially this COVID-19 era, which is, you know, remote work and all that, is sort of like designing under influence, which may be desirable in certain states of potentially, you know, sometimes doing it, um, looking at things different way with a you know, shot of vodka or glass of wine, whatever, but it's not an, like, you can't really do it all the time and expect an excellent outcome. Maybe some of you are out there drinking and designing, but I don't think so. Right. I don't think this can be done successfully. Same thing operating in business without technology. We feel it's very comparative and, and sort of creates a really nice picture in your mind, hopefully of analogy. Anyway, let's get into our topic today. We're going to tackle a problem that Boris faces every day. Boris, what, what is the thing that, and by the way, we run an IT service a company that focuses on helping engineering, architecture, and design firms with all their IT and technology stuff. In your adventures, Boris, what was like the, the common thing that people struggled with? So uh, one of the more common problems that we get, and especially um, in more recent times, I'm going to say in the last three, four years, as cloud as cloud technologies become more prevalent in the workspace is that you know firms keeping different files in different places right so for example um, you as an architecture firm using tools like Revit and maybe AutoCAD but mostly Revit want to keep your uh, files on your on-premise server for the best performance so you can quickly open files edit them and save um, so your project so your you know Revit models are stored in your local folder However, for collaboration purposes, you you know you create PDFs and you answer to RFIs and you find issues with projects and you keep those in you know in a file sharing service, whether it's Google Docs or Microsoft OneDrive, you know, or ShareFile. So you have those separately in there, so you can easily share them. Then your accounting may use another system and another set of tools. And they keep, you know, all the accounting files in a different place. Then maybe HR uses another system that, you know, hey, helps with helps with all the HR stuff, and they have all your personal files live somewhere else. So the challenge is not having all this uh, information in one place can become really difficult in managing what gets backed up, how it gets backed up, how secure all of that access is, and creates a problem for the organization as a whole in terms of security, in terms of disaster recovery. And just in general, information management and finding the right information in the right ways. Gotcha. So that's a very, um, very good description of, and I'm like, as a business owner myself, I'm recognizing a lot of these things, even though I don't run architecture firm, but uh, digital marketing, well, I used to run digital marketing firm, which was quite creative work in a lot of ways, but needed to be organized, needed to be, uh, we needed access to all kinds of different creative stuff, like very, very similar. But I think if we summarize or, or sort of put, a title on this episode would be like, hey, we have files everywhere. Can't we all have them in one place, right? Would that be a summary, an adequate sum summary of your uh, eloquent descriptions? 
yes, that would be an adequate summary. And but I, I, I do wish, like the. I wish the answer was a hundred percent yes, but it's not always a hundred percent yes. Yeah, clearly, because you know, just the nature of different programs, uh, specialization, you know, requires different file formats, types, sizes and systems where they're stored, normal. But how are you beginning, or how are you thinking about, or how are you tackling this with your clients today who are sort of a little bit, uh, let's say, just kind of taking this as a necessary evil right now without, like what's the, what's the next step for them? How, how do they begin to solve this? Well, um, the conversation we're having is around um, consolidation. Right, so trying to consolidate as much as possible, even though we can't have everything in one place, because that would make it too easy. Right? <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> God forbid. We're at least looking to consolidate as much as possible. So we're trying to keep all the project files, including Revit model. For example, if they're using a cloud service to store the Revit model instead of storing it on their local drive. So they're using a service like BIM 360 from Autodesk to easily collaborate with other with other parties. Then instead of just storing uh, models in BIM 360, we also help them migrate all their uh, internal files to BIM 360 as well. So all the project files are now stored in BIM 360 as opposed to being in three different places, for example. Gotcha. So it's it's it sort of sounds to me taking inventory of the current storage systems, understanding their capabilities and consolidating uh, those storage systems in, in as few as possible is kind of the ticket? Correct. Yeah. So understanding all the systems we have and then looking at how we can simplify things and make it as easy as possible. Mm. And so what is that process like? So for an average business owner of architecture design firm, is this something that they're capable of doing on their own potentially, or would they need uh, somebody with a lot more IT chops? No, uh, anybody, I think as a business owner, you should be able to do it and you should at least be able to do it high level to where you can talk to various uh, people in your organization, whether they're running you know, an accounting department or an HR person or just you know, designers or you know, an architect that are working with clients. Because a lot of times what we see is just... Let's not even take any on-premise, anything that's on-premise, for example, but just inside the cloud service. Like we have people using Dropbox. They use their personal Dropbox accounts. We have people using personal mm. G Suite Gmail account for sharing files. And then there's a corporate share file account. There's a corporate Dropbox account. So there's just various different tools that people are comfortable with. And they're just you know going out and procuring that on their own as opposed to having a clear, clearly defined strategy. So a business owner can talk to the individuals within the organization to find out exactly what tools are being used and then see if any of that can be consolidated. Gotcha. So step one, um, I would call this an inventory uh, of file storage systems. What would you call it? Yeah, that would be good. Inventory of file storage systems. Uh, would, would step two be now that digging, once you have the inventory, would a step to, by the way, this home, home from school situation is, is getting interesting. I see my daughter jumping up and down on her <laughs> gym class uh, in her room. That's ridiculous. I mean, anyway, that's all right. Step one is inventory. Once you understand the inventory, step two is then, I guess, how do you address the capability of each system? How would you catalog that and who should be doing that? Like, is the business owner or ops manager able to do that? Or again, you need to now rope in your IT muscle. Well, you still you need a resource um, dedicated to this process, right? And who can hopefully understand what the requirements are for the system that we're trying to 
get to, right? So it's about figuring out what the requirements are. Uh, for example, again, talking about file sharing apps, you know, is the requirement that it has to be able to share anonymous links, right? Is the requirement that we need to control access um, to only allow certain people to access those files? Or are we able to just share willy-nilly and do we need that requirement? So trying to figure all those things out, again, comes from talking to your people. So I don't think, I don't think you need a specialized IT person for any of these steps. You may need some strategic advice afterwards once you have gathered all the requirements and all the systems. You may need to figure out which solution actually fit within those requirements. So what I'm deciphering is uh, the step two is more of a capability range study for those existing systems. Now, if I'm not saying it correctly, correct me, or if there's a better name for it, but I just want to like, the, the takeaway from this uh, show would be, this particular episode would be like, hey, here's the steps you need to control your your, your file flood. And so, so how would you call the step two? What's the so better way? Capability to- study sounds to me like you want to see which, you know, if each one of the tools has the right capabilities for you. But I would go and say step two is not looking at tools capabilities, but looking at what you need inside of your organization from these tools. I see. I would call that, so So personally, I would think about doing this as a step three. And this is a good conversation for you and I to have right now. Uh, I think that would help our listeners as well. As a business owner, the way I'm looking at it is I want to understand what the, I guess, what the range of features and functions within the current systems before I write out my own capabilities. But maybe I'm wrong on my own requirements. Maybe I'm wrong. Like what's, what's argument for and against making it step two versus three? Well, for me, knowing what you need would come before figuring out which solution, right? So identifying what you need first at the basic level, because there's always features that are required and there's features that are nice to have. So once you identify the requirements, then you can eliminate potentially, uh, you know, tools that don't meet those requirements. They may have other nice to have features, but they don't need the basic set of requirements. So that's why we want to do that in step two. So then in step three, out of 10 tools that we use, we eliminate, let's say five, because they don't fit in a set of requirements. And then we evaluate them out of the five based on the nice to have features that they have um, and possibly financial impact and so on. That is very good. I agree with you. This is actually makes a lot of sense to me. So I crossed off capability range and a more like uh, identifying um, firm's requirements. And then, and then step three is, is that what the capability study is or, or what, there's a better word for it. I just can't, I can't reach for it. Well, step three is basically choosing the right tool. And that would be based on various factors. One of the factors would be uh, what are the feature set of each of the tools, right? So once we, again, once we identify the requirements and we know that, let's say out of 10 tools that we're thinking about, only five tools match the requirements. So we eliminate the other five. And then out of those fives, we look at all the features that they have, see if there's any features that are nice to have for us and would be beneficial to our business. And then also look at the, again, as we talked about financial impact and also the learning curve impact. For example, if that tool is only used by one person who only knows it really well, what about the other 40 people in your firm? Will they be comfortable with using that tool? How much of a learning curve there is? So all of those things need to be put into that decision matrix in step three. So it's not just figuring out what the tool are capable of, um, what the tools are capable of, but also figuring out how much impact is switching to that tool going to have on our organization. But uh, look, I'm thinking breaking it down into uh, more manageable steps, what you're saying makes a lot of sense, but 
you, what you just said made me think that I don't want to take this on. Maybe I just let it run the way it is because it sounds pretty complicated. Pretty complicated to figure out because now you talk about implementation impact, potentially implementation impact and time savings all rolled into a singular step, right? So the breakout is take the inventory, figure out your own requirements, then sort of look at the feature set and fit from various perspectives. And then that's it. And then get, I guess go implement. Can we break it out into you know more manageable steps like inventory, requirements, feature set review, capability review in that step three. And then step four may be like an implementation impact or how would you, how would you call it? Like actually study like, okay, these from a, from a perspective of functionality, these, these tools right now fit these, these three fit all of the work, but now let's do an implementation or rollout study or rollout impact study. How do people do that? Yeah. So you're right. And I, you know, I think I've, I've kind of jumbled it together, but we should definitely um, look at splitting those up. Um, so as you mentioned, um, so we'll call it a feature set study in step three. So we identify all the feature sets for all the tools. And then I guess we'll call it a financial, I guess, financial impact analysis in step four, uh, figuring out, you know, the cost of each tool and whether, you know, whether the cost, financial costs, right? So we're just talking, we're not even talking about um, learning curve, whether the financial cost is going to to be within the budget and whether... <laughs> yeah, whether it fits. I, I get it because, look, if you say, okay, we're all going to Microsoft Teams or whatever the heck it, that it may be, and the licensing cost is like eight times what you're paying for everything today, it sort of diffuses the purpose and may not, get, may not have the enough gain in operation efficiency to offset this huge cost of new licenses, right? And the word I was looking for is cost-benefit analysis. There we go. We need to make sure that the costs align with the benefits that we're going to get. Yeah, so I'm yes, just this down. Yeah. the tool may be more expensive, but if it provides a lot more benefit and we can uh, derive some additional productivity from using the tool, uh, it's probably a good investment. So, so I would say step four, then split into two different, and, I, and I'm just going to keep probing your brain until you give up, right? But um, well, we can split it as much as you want, right? We can take baby steps. But I like baby steps. So, so um, impact analysis, I would say step four. And step four, I guess, step four A is financial and step four B is cost benefit because once you understand the financial implication or cost of all these tools, of, of, the, of the selected, I guess, set of tools, or preliminary selected set of tools, then cost benefit, because there's time savings. There could be significant time savings. Like what's, what have you seen in terms of, and where the time savings usually come from, from consolidation of these well, file storage systems? The, the file savings usually come from having, not having to look for different files and different information in different places, right? So it comes from, I guess we can call it convenience, but in reality, is the ability to easily find information and get on with your work. Gotcha. So, and how, like, what is the range between best and worst firms you worked with? Like, in terms of just, again, ballpark estimate, put your finger on, on, on a number. In the worst firm and in the best, best firm you worked with personally, that you're familiar with, that you don't necessarily maybe work with, but you have a relationship with and you understand the business as well. What's that difference? What do you, like, just get a feel for it? Uh, I mean, as a ballpark, and this yes. is a conservative estimate, right? Because, I mean, who really pays attention to, like, 10-minute increments, right? I mean, we in 10 minutes, we can... My bottom line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. 
that's where your profit comes from, right? How that's right. That can be. And those 10 minute increments actually add up. But really, you know, if we say 10 pers- you know, 10 minutes per person per week, just kind of jumping around through files is the difference. That's very conservative. In my experience, it's a lot more than that. Sure. But fine. Want to be conservative? Yeah. I think now that we're remote, it's even more than that. Mm. Um, but because in, in the office, you can turn to somebody who's sitting next to you and just ask. Hey, and waste their time, right? Yeah, waste their time a little bit, but get a response quicker. Hey, where can I find that file, or where should I look for that? Right. Once you're remote, you know you can send a Teams message or a Slack message, but you may not get a response right away. And then you start looking for it yourself and not able to find it and kind of just spinning your wheels before you switch off completely and try, you know, start focusing on another task. So, yeah, 10 minutes is a very safe uh, estimate. But even if we take that, you know, 10 minutes per person per week um, in a 50 person firm. 500 minutes. 500 minutes. How many hours is that? That's like eight hours plus. Yeah, eight something. Yeah, eight in the tail. So saving eight hours a week across all your staff, that's a lot of billable work. Well, what if we're not billable, just cost? Uh, like we've, we've sort of go conservative, let's estimate the cost to us, just straight up, not billable, not the mistakes we make, blah, 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 none of that stuff, just very bare bones. Like we'd say $50 an hour is, is the number that we've been using. Yeah, $50 on an average. Hour, pretty good. Throughout the team. Pretty good average throughout the team. For so 8.33 times... 50 looks like 416 dollars a week am i getting it right oh uh, yeah that's about right okay so that's so, as far as yeah and that's the really conservative one so that's about two grand two and a half two to two twenty one hundred a month that you can save by just implementing uh, one of these but i guarantee you the missed deadlines of the projects that impact the frustration of employees the uh, um the tap on the shoulder, hey, can I, where can I get this that's doubling the wasting time? And usually the person gets tapped on the shoulder is the senior person whose time is a lot more valuable. Blah, blah, blah. The impact is tremendous. But right now, like, hey, 2000 bucks on a 50-person firm, that's a very, very conservative estimate on, on like immediate impact. And, you know, that, that this particular, this systemization can make. Right. Yep. All right. So cost benefit. So what's step five? Is it rollout implementation? Yeah. So, so step five would be uh, implementation. And usually that consists spinning up the new service, setting everything up to uh, make it as easy as possible to access, uh, providing people with access, migrating data and properly securing that data, making sure that only people that require access to that data can get into those files like separating accounting, HR, and other functions, or however you currently have it set up. It's actually, if that project, during the start of the, during the, start of the project like this, it's actually very valuable to kind of review uh, what you have currently in terms of what the permissions are and how, to, you know, how people access information and who has access to what, so that once you move it to a different system, uh, you can set up things more efficiently possibly, right? Or eliminate things that you found that are like, oh, wow, I didn't know this person had access to all the sensitive data that we have, right? So that's a step one. Sorry to interject, but that's, I just want to make sure that step one inventory should include that as well. So not only what systems you have, who has access and what's stored in there. Correct. Okay, very good. You know, so this is, technology is your competitive advantage, right? We don't want to just say that out loud. It actually makes a lot of sense. You become a lot more agile, a lot more uh, a lot more, uh, a lot easier to accept new bids, uh, go off the new business with the new efficiency and be able to turn around projects on time, not to mention save labor cost like immediately after implementing the system. So 
Look, um, this is something we do here at get, GetArcIT.com. Get uh, we're IT services, complete IT services company for engineering, architecture, and design firms. I've done it for years now. Very happy to help you. But you don't need to have our services to do this. Although, Boris, it sounds like step five, the implementation requires some IT muscle. Yes, it requires IT muscle, whether it's internal or um, you know a, an IT consultant like our firm can help you with that implementation, or you can try and do it on your own. I mean, I've you know I've had people try and then call us and say they need our help. <laughs> well, well, here's the crux of it, right? As as a CEO of the organization, as the lead, as leader of the company, or as as someone in executive team, like you have your unique ability, right? And that is X. If if that X does not include implementing file storage systems, don't do it. It's risky for the business. You're risking your own time, sanity in, in doing this. I Trust me, as a business owner growing a company, I've done this myself. Um, but as soon as I was able to outsource something that wasn't within my unique ability, I did so. And uh, that's how we're able to scale the organization quite fast. Um, yeah, I, I fall into the same trap. I mean... It happens to all of us because as a business owner, you feel that you are the only one who understands your business and you are the only one who can do things the way you want. Right. It's a whole other topic, man, that we should really <laughs> unpack. Um, be <laughs> because instead of having your WordPress guy or girl, um, you kind of go do it yourself. Like, hey, Boris, we need a webinar page. We're running a webinar. Mm. No, guess what? Uh, it's not there yet, but hey, we're waiting on you to do it. Um, exactly. It should be that exactly. case. Exactly. I want to shame you on a live TV. <laughs> uh, but we do try to practice what we preach, don't we? Um, uh, we do. We do. Yeah, certainly. I try to outsource as much as possible, but and that's what we suggest to our fellow business owners as well. Focus on your unique ability, outsource the rest. That's very astute advice, and we'll uh, cover that in the future shows. Anyway, boys, thank you very much for your time. I think hopefully it was valuable to you. Go to www.getarch.it dot com and drop us a line click let's talk or contact us whatever button we're going to have there we're testing different things and let us know if there's another topic you want us to cover your challenges or if you want to work with us we'd be happy to give you a full technology assessment and then a quote and then uh, become your it provider thank you for listening thank you everyone have an amazing day